the College Football Fix Podcast. With Paul Meyerberg and Dan Wolken. This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. Welcome back to the College Football Fix as we kick off the 2022 college football season. I'm Dan Wolken from USA Today Sports, and Paul Meyerberg is here. Paul, it's been an eventful summer in college sports, and we are now back at it as we get on the cusp of yet another season. It's crazy. A couple things have happened since you and I last spoke, which was probably a few, just a few back in January. Um, yeah, so we probably got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to focus on the poll today because the poll did pop out our, our USA Today sports coaches poll top 25. But yeah, it's been an eventful seven months. I mean, what the seven months have gone by since we did our last podcast. I don't know how time flies like that, but yeah, here we are, Dan. Here we are. So let's get right to it. We have the coaches poll just freshly released. To no one's surprise, number one, University of Alabama, runner-up last year to Georgia, Nick Saban trying to win his seventh national title with the Crimson Tide. They get 54 first-place votes. The next team with the most first-place votes was Georgia, who lands at number three. They got six. Ohio State got five. They're the number two team. And um, there was a stray number one vote for the Texas Longhorns, which uh, we need to talk about later because uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, we got to talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about We'll talk about that in a second. Let, let's start with Alabama. So Alabama's my pick to win the national championship. I know that this is sort of becoming a rinse and repeat scenario. Uh, I mean, honestly, like there are like boys and girls who are about to be bar and bar, bat mitzvahed who have never lived in an era when Nick Saban wasn't winning national championships. Yeah. I mean, mazel tov to those kids. Um, if you're down in Birmingham area, get your apartments for this year. Um, I think it's an incredible run, obviously for Alabama. And a lot of times, Dan, during this like era, um, there have been years that we've put them number one or, or people like you or I have voted them number one or consider them number one based more off this projection that, well, they're Alabama. I think there's less doubt about that this year, and I think it's reflected in the first place votes. This is kind of a no doubt number one team. There's a lot that they're bringing back, a lot that they're bringing in. Um, just a talented group that um, I don't think there's an argument um, for as good as these programs are for either Ohio State or Georgia right now to be number one over the tide. Well, and there's a couple other factors at work here, too. One, they have the best offensive player in the country, Bryce Young. Best defensive player in the country, Will Anderson. Probably the best transfer in the country, Jameer Gibbs, who kind of people didn't really know about because he played at Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech was not good the last couple years. But he's going to be their top running back. He's going to catch passes out of the backfield. He's just another weapon to put alongside that offense. So you have all that going for you. You have the fact that they lose a close game in the fourth quarter last year in the national championship, which you can only imagine the way that Saban and that staff is using that 
to motivate every workout, every lifting session, whatever they've got to do to prepare for the season. Uh, we all may think it's cliched and silly, but at Alabama, it's real. At Alabama, they understand the psychology of how to motivate guys to not just play well on Saturday, but to put in the effort every single day of the offseason. And then thirdly, when you listen to Nick Saban talk this preseason, and this is a guy who's using phrases like, well, last year was a rebuilding year. And, you know, in a rebuilding year where they win the SEC and make the national championship game, he's not necessarily wrong, but that's the kind of rhetoric you use when you're supremely confident that you've got the best team in the country. Reading between the lines, I think he intimated at that several times last year. I think you and I kind of guessed that he had that feeling that it was like a rebuilding year based, if if nothing else, off the fact that he seemed really kind of happy after the season was over as if they had accomplished their ultimate goal, which is win a title. Um, yeah, I, I do think that there's an enormous amount of confidence around Alabama. And look, we've seen several times in the past uh, another SEC program come up and replace Alabama atop the heap, whether it's Auburn for a year or it's LSU for a year. And every time Alabama has a response, um, we both know that this Georgia program is built a whole lot differently than those really blip on the radar short span of time LSU or Auburn programs. But um, I do think they're motivated by that. And uh, yeah, I think there's an enormous, enormous amount of confidence around Alabama. Um, rightfully so. They're a fantastic team on paper. Is there anything on the schedule that you think could trip them up? Because, you know, when I look at it, there's obviously going to be a lot of focus on the non-conference game at Texas on September 10th, which certainly is is a great matchup for college football. Glad we have it. Of course, when Texas joins the SEC, we could have it, you know, maybe semi-regularly, but it's a big deal. You know, even though Texas according to most people, is, is probably not a anywhere close to the same caliber team as Alabama. Now, obviously, that one voter in the poll disagrees with us, but um, I don't think Texas is ready to, to compete with Alabama, but it's a big game. Um, they got to go to Arkansas. They got to go to Tennessee. They've got to go to LSU. They've got to go to Ole Miss. I mean, look, there could be there could be a loss in there. There certainly could be. You know, Tennessee's going to be salty on offense. LSU certainly going to be talented and more organized under Brian Kelly, but I, I don't know what we're going to get from them. The Ole Miss thing, who, who knows? Lane doesn't really seem to be able to beat Nick Saban, um, and I don't think he will this year. They play A&M at home. I think at most it's a one-loss team, and, and I think that would still put them in the SEC championship game. Yeah, it's, I think it's a one-loss team, too, but no more. We've seen Alabama lose one game in the regular season, like, always. Uh, what that game's going to be, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be Texas. I don't think there's going to be Texas A&M. Um, but, yeah, I think you nailed a few of the ones that could come up and get them. And I don't even think that we'd be enormously surprised. It would be an upset, obviously. But Arkansas, Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, those, to me, are the games that they got to watch out for. And if they lose one of them, like you said, it's not going to derail them. They'll still win the West, still play for the SEC. So, it's a really good team. No no question about it. I think your dog agrees with that as well. He likes Auburn. So. Was that a bark of disagreement? <laughs> yeah, he was a disagreement, of course. Not n- not happy with the state of affairs. All right, yeah, so I think we're in agreement on Alabama. Let's move on to Ohio State, the number two team in the poll. 
you know, it, it's really interesting because if you hear a lot of the rhetoric around Ohio State, last year was was kind of a failure. It was a disappointing year. And there's not very many programs where 11-2 and two winning a Rose Bowl is considered disappointing. But you know, Ohio State loses to Michigan. They don't make the playoff. I don't know. Um, have overhauled their defense, which I think was was interesting and necessary. And certainly, from you know, just watching them play, it, it certainly seems like they they need to do something on that side of the ball. Uh, but I could have argued for Georgia number two. I don't have a problem with Ohio State, but it's. We're going to find out quick because they're playing Notre Dame, who's number five in this poll, uh, right out of the gates. Uh, another awesome matchup for college football. Is Ohio State the second best team, in your opinion, coming into the season? Uh, no, I still would put Georgia number two over Ohio State. But uh, and and we should say this because we're everyone's thinking it, and we all know it. Like these three teams are so far ahead of everybody else. Like I'm saying, Ohio State's playing Notre Dame number five, and I'm like, well, Ohio State's going to win by seventeen. I, don't, I mean, I don't think they're going to win by 17, but my brain kind of goes to the point where, like, I'm not even looking at three versus five. I'm just looking at, well, Ohio State's in a little bit of a different class than the number five team in the country. Um, unlike the Alabama at number one, I don't, like, this isn't a no-doubter. I think you could go either way on Georgia and Ohio State. Georgia, despite all their losses, just enormous, enormous depth, enormous speed and athleticism. Ohio State, likewise, if you see up, uh, an uptick on defense, that's going to more than offset the fact that they lost some star power at receiver. So um, I would have put Georgia number two personally, but again, we're splitting hairs. These are one, two, three in one order or another. And, and that's like unimpeachable. I would, other than the, than the, the chucklehead who put Texas number one, I, I would like really be surprised if anyone thinks that there's another team that could be in the top three other than these three teams. Well, what, what could go wrong for Ohio state this year? What, what is it that could keep them out of the playoff? Well, to me, it's easy, and that's all these thoughts that the defense will get better with Jim Knowles, and this thought that this defense will go into the top six, five, four of the Big Ten. Um, if that backfires, and they are again a, a unit that um, draws this group into shootouts, or will give up a forty spot on a random Saturday to an inferior opponent, I mean that's my fear, and I think that's obvious. I, I don't think there's any fear on offense whatsoever with Ryan Day. Um, truly, I, I do think that it's going to be a little bit different for Stroud without those two first-round picks out wide. But I don't worry about that offense. I just worry about the defense. To me, that's no question about it. I mean, Purdue game, the Iowa game, any game that could kind of pop up where a team could score 42, 44, 45 points, I, I think for Ohio State, that's a legitimate fear until proven otherwise. All right, number three is Georgia. It's interesting if you consider how much they lost to the NFL draft. I mean, just massive, massive amounts of, of talent, and it was – validated by where a lot of those guys got picked early round draft picks at the same time I believe I'm right three of the touchdowns in the national championship game were scored by freshmen uh, for for Georgia last year you bring back Stetson Bennett it's just kind of getting to the point where the depth of talent that Kirby Smart has been able to recruit is overwhelming now there's also changes, like I mentioned, not just the loss of, of players, but you have Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator, uh, getting the head coaching job at Oregon. So you're, you're making some changes there. Um, 
you know, there, there's certainly, I think, still a desire to see if Georgia's offense can open it up a little more, push the ball down the field. You know, everyone likes to make fun of Stetson Bennett's, you know, being the game manager or whatever, but when he has had to, you know, push it a little bit or open things up, he's been capable of doing it. So I don't have any doubts about how good Georgia is going to be at the same time. It's a uniquely, I don't want to say difficult position, but it's, it's, it's certainly a different position for them to, instead of, you know, chasing that, that championship after 40 years to now be the team who's, who's the reigning national champion and they've got to do what Alabama has done for a decade, which is sustain it. And, you know, that, that comes with its own set of, of issues and, and challenges that they're going to have to navigate. Yeah. I mean, they want to be Alabama, which they've been so far. They got to get that, that, uh, you know, keep that train kind of rolling, which is what Alabama does so well. Um, I don't know about you, Dan. I, I, I think Dan Lanning is a really nice younger coach. I think he's, he has the potential to do really nice things at Oregon. That doesn't keep me awake at night that Dan Lanning's no longer on staff. No, are you? No, 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 Like no, with no. Kirby Smart still. Yeah. It doesn't really, I don't, I don't lose that much sleep over it. I do think that, um, uh, I'm looking forward to no longer like, spending a lot of time you and i talking about stetson bennett every week i think we put this to rest right like we're not we're no longer have any doubts about stetson bennett um yeah but you know what like what i said before like georgia has mirrored and mimicked alabama from day one under kirby smart to get to this point and they've done it beautifully better than any program that has tried for the last 15 years has done it so to me i don't i'm not that like the thought that they're going to drop off a precipice and go nine and four, it, it doesn't really enter my mind. I mean, you tell me, I, I just don't, I, I think they've done everything so well so far. And like you said, despite the losses, there's an enormously talented young core of skill talent and interior talent on this roster. I think they stick around. I think they stick around for good. I don't, I don't think this team goes back to, to 10 and three or nine and four. Well, and the other thing that I think helps them is, if you look at the SEC East, Tennessee's probably still a year away from, at least, from, you know, really, really pushing them. Florida, new coaching staff, I think they're going to get better, but they probably are still in catch-up mode. You know, South Carolina, Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky might be the second-best team in the division. So... Yeah, I think they are. So, I, I just think they have that cushion. Somebody may... may be able to get up there and challenge them, catch them, surpass them at some point. But I just don't think their their competition, their direct competition is ready for that. Let's roll to, I think, the first, I don't want to say controversial, but the first team that I think you could question where they were voted, and that's number four, and that's Clemson. Clemson, 10-3 and three last year, certainly played better at the end of the season, seemed to you know, kind of get their offensive mojo back a little bit where it seemed like early on they just couldn't really do anything. Uh, on the media day circuit, you saw DJ Uyunglele talk a lot about how much better shape he's in physically. I certainly looked leaner, thinner. Um, you know, he, he said he'd maybe gotten a little bit heavy. At the same time, this is a really massive year of transition. 
Uh, Dabo's had a very stable together coaching staff. And now all of a sudden you look at where they are from a staff standpoint now versus their 2018 national championship. It's, it's just a very different program and you don't have Tony Elliott. You don't have Jeff Scott. You don't have Brent Venables. You know, you don't have Thad Turnipseed who, you know, was kind of a behind the scenes guy who did all kinds of, uh, infrastructure work for, for Clemson to make that thing happen. And, um, I think we're, we're kind of back in the, you know, questioning Dabo period, but at least in terms of the coaching colleagues who vote in this poll, they believe that Clemson is, is back as a top five team. I'm not so sure I buy it. Yeah. This number four spot, Dan, like for me, when I'm doing my one to one thirty one, it's, it's a devil. Like, I don't know who to put number four and it's not because there aren't options. It's just because to me, number four in this new era really means something. And I couldn't really sell myself on any number four personally, like as a rock solid pick. I put Michigan in mind, um, but Clemson was one of the teams I considered. To me, there is there's two different thoughts on Clemson, and I, and I think you nailed both. Number one is um, if DJ is better and the passing game is better, this team could easily go number four. Their defense is fantastic, especially on the defensive line. Brzee and Murphy are just combined. Those are two first round picks and they're going to be unblockable in the ACC. The big issue is what's going to happen on the sidelines and what kind of leadership they're going to get, especially on defense, you know, and I think Brent Venables in a lot of ways over the years, his energy, his enthusiasm, his like explosiveness um, defined the program in a lot of ways, certainly in the way that I, I saw the way that they played on Saturdays reflected Venables, even if they kind of uh, the program as a whole uh, Sunday to Friday reflected Dapo's kind of, you know, calm touch. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how they respond to a new voice on that side of the ball. If they can still have a top five unit, yeah, I think this is the fourth best team in the country, but I think that's asking a lot. Uh, Brent Venables is a Hall of Fame defensive coordinator, so there's going to be a decline in my mind. Um, I don't know who you would have put number four. I would have put Michigan. There's a lot of other options. I'm not arguing against Clemson. I just think that it's not a, a no-brainer pick like it might have been two or three years ago. Yeah, I think Clemson is clearly getting the benefit of the doubt because of how long they've they've been in the mix and how good they've been. But there are certainly signs that are worrying in terms of their sustainability for the next 10 years. And, you know, again, Saban has made all of this stuff seem easier than it is to sustain. I, the typical college football dynasty window is about six, seven years. That's historically what it's been. And then guess what happens? People start leaving. It gets a little bit stale. You're maybe not hitting it as hard in recruiting. Like it's just a bunch of little things that sort of add up. And then all of a sudden you're, you've slipped three notches and you're not, you're not as good and you're not winning championships anymore. So we'll have to see where, where it goes with Clemson. Like I, I think, you know, part of it was DJ and, and if he's better, I think they're going to be better. But I also think there's a chance that like Dabo missed an opportunity here to take their offense in a different direction. You know, he basically just elevated Brandon Streeter, who'd been the quarterback's coach and uh, recruiting coordinator, who's certainly a talented young football coach. And I, I think, you know, just in a vacuum would, would be a good hire for a lot of different programs. But at Clemson, when you've just sort of moved the assembly line 
and kind of tried to keep everything in place, you know, maybe just kind of given the results on offense the last couple years that were declining, maybe this would have been a time to hire someone outside, get a fresh perspective. I, again, we'll find out. And if they don't, if, you know, if this is a Clemson team that, that goes 10 and two and misses the playoff, there's going to be a lot of second guessing on Dabo about some of those choices. Yeah. Like if they don't win the ACC, it's, it's going to be pretty, pretty monumental. One thing that I, I think about for Clemson in 2022, specifically this year's team, that Atlantic division, the ACC is, is better than it's been. Um, and pretty a lot of NC state buzz. Yeah. And, and I well, we could talk about the pack. Um, Wolf pack to me. Well, they're, they're number 13 in our poll heading into the 13, year. 13, 13. I, I think you can make a case for them to be as high as eight or nine, truly, in my opinion. That's a serious test for them. Wake Forest in the top 20, the Fighting Clausens. Um, number 19. Serious, number 19 for Wake Forest. That's wow. a serious test. I think Louisville is a team that could be – this is not a top 10 team, but they could be a back in the top 25 team. Uh, Boston College is consistent, six or seven win team. Florida State will be better. I think Clemson's road to the ACC championship game is a lot harder than it's been. So the room for error is obviously a lot smaller. So you spoke about DJ. If DJ in this offense under Streeter is not more inventive, uh, it's not a little more wide open, it's not a little bit more explosive, yeah, I, I think they could be like have a really hard time navigating through the Atlantic, uh, which has not been the case almost every single year throughout this entire dynasty under Dabo. Number five, Notre Dame, coming off an 11-2 and two season. Uh, they were 11-1, and one, lost a great Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma State. Really good game. New head coach and Marcus Freeman, who it should be noted, is absolutely crushing it on the recruiting trail to a level that – I'm not sure anyone ever envisioned Notre Dame getting back to you. Like, as well as Brian Kelly did in recruiting, and he did well, Freeman is taking that up at least another notch, maybe two. Now, that's not necessarily going to pay dividends this year, uh, but the program is rock solid. Uh, I I guess you like Michigan a little bit better than Notre Dame. Uh, We're going to find out a lot when they play Ohio State right off the bat, but, um, I mean, they're certainly a legitimate playoff contender. You have to think they are. They have been under Brian Kelly. The Marcus Freeman thing is interesting. I mean, a rookie coach and in that spotlight for that program. Uh, Notre Dame, number five, is really fair for me, I think, because they are talented. Um, I think that the fresh voice could pay dividends. It's, it's a different energy. I, I mean, can you, think of a, can you think of a program that has just sort of had such a dramatic change in energy from one coach to the next – with a guy who was actually already there, a guy who was on staff, I, I honestly can't think of anything quite like Notre Dame sort of becoming the cool program again. Yeah, uh, again. Um, well, maybe for the I first time. hundred years later, yeah. they were pretty cool. Yeah, and trendy in the 20s, 1920s. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm among those people that really like the Marcus Freeman hire for that reason. He has institutional knowledge, not just of the program, but of the roster. Um, he's a younger guy who brings a different sort of energy. Um, and Notre Dame, you could make the case just as much as Brian Kelly needed uh, a new start. Maybe Notre Dame needed a new start. Um, so at the same time, we know you're a first time head coach in that, in that boiler room. Um, it's going to get sweaty. It's going to get hot. Um, if they fail to, you know, get to 11 wins, I think Marcus Ruin is going to face a lot of pressure because the talent is there to do so. So spotlights on him spotlights always on Notre Dame, but more so 
than any first-time coach in the country. He's he's under a microscope, so we'll see if he can deliver. All right, number six is Michigan. You said that's the team you would have had number four. Why? Yeah, I, I just think that Michigan has crossed a, a Rubicon here as a program. Um, I know that this is not a team that on paper um, matches up really well with Ohio State necessarily, but also we didn't really think that last season. So this is more of a gut call for me for Michigan. Um, I would not put them in the top three, but I do feel like as a program, um, they are over the hump. It's not all downhill from here for Michigan, but uh, certainly they've got their ducks in a row. So Michigan is the safest pick, and that's how I looked at it between Clemson, Notre Dame, A&M, and even Utah for me as a contender for number four because I think they're going to run roughshod over the Pac-12. Uh, Michigan was the safest pick of that bunch, not to disappoint. Disappoint meaning, I don't know, eight or nine wins. I think they're past that. Yeah, I think they probably are, but it's it's just a weird deal for me because, look, they, they absolutely got exposed by Georgia. It's just sort of not being on that level, you know, they lose the the pass rushing genius of of Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, I think that was a huge part of their success. And you know, it's kind of interesting that they just have not sort of carried what they did last year onto the recruiting trail in any meaningful way. I mean, they've kind of been a little bit juiceless in that in that regard. So. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you had the whole thing with Harbaugh flirting with going back to the NFL. I don't know. I, I, I I'm going to f- go the other way and and say that I think Michigan. This may be this may be a three loss season. Hmm. Okay, look, you can you can see the wins. I mean, you can see the losses uh, on paper. It's not hard to find them. You just got to say Ohio State, Michigan State, Penn State, <laughs> right. and no one would be surprised whatsoever, right? right. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's. We could talk about the Big Ten East, and we probably will, because we'll, we'll do our season preview later this month, and we'll talk about how good that division and how that conference is. Um, Michigan is uh, not a sure thing at all, and I think that's what separates one, two, three from four through eight. Sure things like safe bets, put your money on those three, and then and then save them for those four through eight. Um, I just total gut call, like I said. I just feel had this sense that Michigan is better constructed maybe than we give them credit for. Um, and certainly, as we found out last season, uh, what Jim Harbaugh wants his program and wants that team to be, that's what they became. And I, I don't see any reason why after an offseason um, they're going to kind of lose that momentum or mojo. So I'm looking forward to the season finale. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State again. I think they're going to get right. – uh, things going to even out. But they've got a shot at them. They really do. And I think they got a shot to get back to the play. Well, they got to go to the horseshoe, and that's always a different uh, deal – AM number seven. This is the first team in the poll who is getting the benefit of the doubt coming off a, a really mediocre year. AM was eight and four last year. They they did have the big upset over Alabama, but nobody would say that was a good Texas AM team. And I I guess there's just a lot of credit given to the recruiting. Is that is that where this is? coming from it's the uh it's the same kind of credit we gave maybe to georgia first couple years under kirby or yeah but he got past his first one or two seasons yeah but here's the thing is is georgia in kirby's i think second season was playing in the national championship game i mean a&m's not had anything like that in terms of performance consistency that georgia had really from year two on under kirby no you're right they haven't and we thought that last i'm not buying it until i see it well, 
we, we wanted to buy it last year, right? Or at least it was kind of force fed to us last year that AM, this was the year. They had like knocked on the door back in 2020 during that COVID year, come within a hair, and this was their moment. So not having met the moment, that that worries me a lot. You asked about what it's like what the defining aspect of it is. It's 100% recruiting to me. You can't develop this sort of roster, have this sort of talent, um, uh, even though they don't really have a great quarterback, and not be a team that can play for an SEC championship. It's hard not to in the sport nowadays. So I give them credit for uh, for reeling in the talent and the roster you need to beat Alabama, not just once, but you know, beat them to win the SEC. Well, here's the thing with Jimbo. And I, look, the guy's a really good football coach. We all understand that. But if you know people who have have worked for Jimbo, people who understand what he wants to do on offense, people who know his playbook, this is not a simple scheme. And I do think it's notable that really there has not been a quarterback that Jimbo has recruited who has thrived in his system since Jameis Winston. You know, you had a a little window where Kellen Mond at A&M, you know, popped a little bit as a senior, but it took him a long time. It took him a while. And um, he wasn't recruited by Jimbo. Jimbo inherited him when he took over that job. I I just sort of wonder, like, okay, they've stacked all this talent, but if you don't have a quarterback to pull it all together and to run that system who, who understands you know, what Jimbo's trying to do and can sort of get through the thickness of that playbook, I think that will hold you back from the ultimate level of success that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and why that's the case, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Um, why he would have the, you know, OED of, of college football <laughs> playbooks is beyond me. You know what I mean? Like, we could dumb it down. Like, let's just do the uh, NCAA football 14 playbook and let our athletes well, win the game. We don't know who this quarterback's going to be, right? right? Like we suspect, I mean, I suspect it's going to be Max Johnson, who was good for LSU, like, and, and really quietly last year because no one cared about LSU. I think he had like 30, almost 30 touchdowns, less than 10 picks. But w- what you said goes for Max Johnson and everyone else. I don't think it's a matter of being able to make the throws. Um, clearly, these guys can all make the throws. I think it's a matter of being able to run the offense. And uh, yeah, it would be disappointing for me as an AM fan knowing what they have, especially on defense. Uh, especially up front, which I think their offensive line is going to be way better. It'd be a disappointment to be bogged down by an offense that can't really get out of its own way, which, like you said, we've seen for Fisher at FSU and at AM in the last five or six seasons. All right, let's move on to number eight, Utah, the defending Pac-12 champion. Uh, awesome season for them to get to the Rose Bowl, and certainly uh, you saw how much it meant for them to accomplish that. Uh, you you. There were some whispers, I think, toward the end of last season. We, we, I think, forget this, that people sort of questioned whether Kyle Whittingham was going to retire. And uh, he's back. Utah's going to be good again. You know, they're kind of one of those programs that you, you just respect. First of all, you know, how they play physically, so tough to beat. And just the consistency of performance has has gotten to a level that you, you just sort of put them, you know, somewhere in that eight to fifteen range, and don't even think about it again. Yeah, they, they're in rarefied air in that group. Like that's not the Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State group, but that's some, that's that's a significantly impressive place to be. Um, 
I saw yesterday Utah's favorite in every single game this season on mm. paper. Yeah. I, mean, I think that means something. Like, yeah. I'm, I have found out, Dan, over the years that uh, I'm not good at knowing what's going to happen in college football. <laughs> Individual games, Dan. Individual seasons. Uh, like, I don't have a clue. That's why the, uh, you know, the sports books consistently uh, beat the public. I mean, that's that's just part of the deal. Yeah. I don't know where they're getting it. I don't know wh- I don't know what they're doing. Please tell me what you do to to know this. Um, but being favored in every game on paper in August is a telltale sign that Utah is uh, uh, the clear-cut favorite to win the Pac-12 uh, and a, a contender, if they get the record right, to make the playoff, which is wild. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. But I think Utah's really good. I do think that they've separated themselves to a degree from Oregon in the Pac-12 and from the, the, obviously the rest of the South. Um, so I do think that they're the team to beat in the Pac-12. Number eight seems super fair, super safe to me. Um, I could even have them a little bit higher. Um, but you know, but you think they're going to win the Pac-12? You think they're? Yeah, I do. I mean, don't you? I mean, I don't know. You got to take Oregon. You could, but rookie coach. We'll talk about the Ducks in a sec. Utah is the safer pick. Um, uh, but, you know, they got to get there. Every year with Utah, we love them. We think they're great, but they've got to prove it. You could also take USC. Well, I mean, you could because they're technically eligible. Or you actually, is, I, I, we could talk about it right now. They were number 15. They're the only team coming off a losing record in the top 15. I can't figure out why they're number 15 in the country uh, at all. Um, well, they, they do have a in, in pretty good quarterback and a pretty good receiver that uh, transferred in. Uh, they, they hired a coach that they paid – a whole lot of money to win Pac-12 titles. I, I, I could see it. But you think that they're going to be the number fifteen team in the country? That's, <laughs> I, that's a I nine think win, nine or ten nine win season. Here's what I think: We are so jaded and cynical by virtue of what we've seen the last decade at USC that maybe we have not quite processed. They are now a actual real program again and that that could manifest itself in a way that maybe is a little surprising because I just fundamentally believe and I think we're going to see this at LSU as well and and you know it's 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 kind of interesting um you know LSU is is not in this poll right LSU is um where are they so they're 26 27 LSU is is essentially number 30 in this poll in others receiving votes. I just think the difference in coaching between Clay Helton and Lincoln Riley is so massive. Just like the difference between Ed Orgeron and Brian Kelly is so massive. I will not be surprised if USC and LSU for that matter have much better seasons than anybody thinks. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you make, you make an outstanding point. Um, I think USC is like just pure roster. Um, depth, uh, experience, even in the Pac-12 is going to be an issue. I'm not arguing for them to be like number 50 or they're going to go six and six. It just seems a stretch to put them at number 15. But like you said, like you added Caleb Williams, uh, you added Jordan Madison, and you added Lincoln Riley. And I think special things could happen. Special meaning, you know, nine or 10 wins. But uh, I think that's a, I think that's asking a lot. And I think it might be premature. Maybe eight and four would be my guess. Not, not nine and three, 10 and two. Let's take a moment to talk about the number nine team in the poll, which is Oklahoma. I think this is such an interesting time 
for the Sooners because, I mean, let's just throw this out there. When Lincoln Riley left for SC, nobody saw it coming. It totally, I think, put the whole state of Oklahoma on tilt. I mean, you had like state lawmakers going out to some, you know, old dirt road out on the border in the panhandle, you know, putting Lincoln Riley memorials out there for people to drive over. I mean, this is just like crazy stuff, right? Because they're just not used to people treating Oklahoma football the way Lincoln Riley did and leaving for what they consider an inferior program. And you're bringing in a guy in Brent Venables, who I certainly think is, is an awesome hire, awesome energy, but he's, he's never been a head coach. We don't know what he's going to do. You don't have the same quarterback you had. It's, it's, it's been a program and a roster that I think has, has clearly had some deficiencies uh, when you get to the, the highest, highest leverage games. They're number nine. I I cannot predict anything about what Oklahoma is going to look like this year. <laughs> yeah, look, in Oklahoma nine. In fact, I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's a mistake not to have Baylor. I think Baylor should be ahead of them. Baylor's number 10. I think Baylor's going to win mm-hmm. the Big 12 again, and I, th- I actually think Baylor's going to make the college football playoff. That's that's my hot take. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I, don't, uh, I think OU Baylor will play for a Big 12 title. I, I would put OU ahead of Baylor, but that's because – like I said before, I'm easily swayed by history because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But OU nine, <laughs> Baylor ten, Oklahoma State eleven says a lot to me. Even though, even though the Cowboys, I think, are overranked, I think that tells you a lot about um, just kind of like the who knows uh, aspect of the Big Twelve right. at this point. OU, I mentioned this about USC. OU is facing what USC is facing. I think even to a slightly higher degree because the turnover for OU has been so profound. Um, Venables, I'm going to mess up the number, but I think he said somewhere around 60% of the roster has never played a snap for OU. And I think that's a really high total for a team that wants to play, I mean, at least play in the New Year's Six. Um, but you mentioned the word Ven- uh, energy with Venables. I think that's that dynamic is going to change how they approach game day on Saturday, how they come out at noon or, or 11 Central on a Saturday and play. I think it's going to be profoundly different. Um, and I do like the Dylan Gabriel, uh, Jeff Levy combination, that quarterback and offensive coordinator. They're going to score a lot of points. They're going to play fast and play hard. That's a great you know trio for, for any program or OU or anybody. But yes, Baylor is a serious threat. Serious, serious threat. I'm not putting them in the playoff. I'd love to hear you say that, that you'll have them at number four because it, yeah, I would love to see that like new feeling um, in December, January. But OU Baylor to me, uh, they're one two two one in the in the Big Ten, Big Twelve at this point. Well, and to me with Baylor, I, I just don't know that they've gotten the credit for what they did last season for the way that that Dave Aranda looked at mistakes he made or decisions that didn't work out in his first season and, and learned from them, and it really just adapted quickly to being a head coach and making tough decisions. And then like you just saw this spring, like they were extremely decisive. They said Blake Shapin's our quarterback, Jerry Bohannon, who who has done well, he's got a track record. You're, you're number two. And they didn't play games, right? They didn't play the game of, you know, Oh, it's an open competition. And, um, you know, we're going to evaluate every snap. And they just said, no, look, this is our guy. This is what we're going to do. And not many programs are doing that right now when, when they have two good quarterbacks. And so I, I just think like there's a certain 
there's a certain like karma karmic reward i think for maybe kind of doing things the right way and i know that maybe some people have a weird reaction to hearing that about baylor because it has been a a scandal plagued uh school under previous administrations in the past but like there's really nothing about Dave Aranda and the way he's run his program that, that you could say is 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 untoward. I mean, they they really it, it's just an impressive outfit and love the way they played last year. I think they're going to be really good. Yeah, and, and that QB change to me is is like so crazy um, in a good way. You know what I mean? I'm sorry about the dog. It's um, it's unorthodox. You know, I, for, it's unorthodox. It's so out of left field and so different. It says a lot about Aranda, and I think it says a lot about the team and the program that he runs. Um, and like, if we remove out, out all like the the out exterior things about it, if you just look like personnel wise, you don't replace a returning starter at quarterback who just led you to a twelve win season. Unless the backup is so much better, it makes your offense so much clearly, clearly, clearly better. Um, that seems to be the case to me, which makes me really believe that Baylor on offense, at least, is going to be even better than they were last year. So that to me is gives me faith in Baylor, um, not just faith in Aranda as a leader or as a, a of a program or a locker room. But it gives me faith like in this offense. I think this offense could be really good, better than they were last year. All right, let's uh, start running through these a little bit uh, quicker as we get out of the top 10. We've, we've touched a little bit on Oklahoma State at number 11, Oregon number 12, NC State at 13. Let's uh, stop for a moment, Michigan State at number 14. I'm not sure they can do again what they did last year, which is kind of catch everybody by surprise, overachieve. You know, Certainly, there's more expectations now. Mel Tucker signed that big contract. Uh, there's also a whole thing about the marketing of Mel Tucker, which has, has gotten kind of nuts in my opinion you know i saw something yesterday about Dan, Mel- let me ask you did you receive an email this summer from a from a yes outside I, can, I can already i can already answer this yes i can already answer yes but go ahead okay so earlier this summer you me and and maybe everyone with, everyone uh, with everyone in the media yes. on twitter <laughs> got an email from an outside uh pr firm yes you think yes Okay, outside PR firm saying, hey, blank, would you be interested in spending three days in East Lansing, Michigan with Mel Tucker? You can smoke cigars, uh, go out to dinner. He'll he'll talk to you about life and blah, 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 blah. All expenses paid. Oh, all expenses paid, right. Right, all expenses paid. So there's a couple things like, uh, I, I'm going to reiterate this point again. I'm not the smartest guy. I don't know that much about anything. I do know about this business. You don't take all expenses paid trip to cover people that you cover as part of your job. So uh, a little bit of a, of a side road there, but you did mention the PR machine is in full force. That's the prime example. A PR machine is rolling with Mel Tucker after an 11-win season. Well, also I saw something uh, the other day about there's, there's Mel Tucker NFTs now. You can get your Mel Tucker NFT if you need one. What's an NFT, Dan? Can you tell me? It's a lot. That's a lot for a college football coach. Non-fungible token, which some people believe are ways to launder money. I don't need a Mel Tucker NFT. I don't think anybody does. Really. Can they replicate what they did last year? Are they are they really the number 14 team in the country? I'm going to say no. Um I think they're going to be good. I think they're top 25 quality. I think this may be a touch high. Now, 
you may be a little bit biased since you said Michigan State was going to be one of the five worst teams in the Power Five last year. <laughs> Ten. 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 I'm sorry. Teams. Not five. Ten worst teams. Okay. Um, I, I'm definitely biased. I want to. I want them to get their comeuppance for all the nasty emails I got. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I agree with you 100. This is not an 11 win team because that's an lightning in the bottle moment for Michigan State. I mean, throughout their program history. Uh, I think Penn State getting better makes it a little bit more difficult for them to get there. But uh, I cannot make an argument for them to be like out of the top 25, not, not just based off last season, but based off the team they have and the momentum you see. It's a top 25 team, uh, top 15. I don't know, Dan. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think 18 to 25 for me with Michigan State is, is a better, maybe 20 to 25. Um, fourth, they're th- fourth among Big Ten teams right now. All right. No, they're third. You got Ohio State, Michigan, then right to Michigan State. I'd have like a Wisconsin or, or an Iowa ahead of them. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, let's uh, go to 15, USC. We talked about them. Number 16, Pittsburgh, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever. Miami, number 17. Interesting hire with Mario Cristobal. Certainly on the recruiting trail, a force to be reckoned with. We have on this podcast many, many times discussed that there have been issues on Saturday with the way Cristobal manages games. That is not, I don't think, going to be particularly relevant to this year and what kind of where we place Miami. I think as, as their roster gets better and the stakes get higher, that's when the microscope will go to to just kind of the game management stuff. I think for now it's all perfume and roses. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of great feelings about having Mario back home. They've got a really good quarterback. I'm going to just kind of wait and see what, what the product looks like before I take a hard stance on, on Miami. Yeah, it's cool to see them at 17, and, and it does reflect the two things that you mentioned, uh, Van Dyke at QB because he's fantastic and, and, a, and a potential young superstar, and then, then, then Cristobal at coach bringing new enthusiasm. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that combines to say that they're going to be number 17 in the country. You can make an argument for it. And then again, you can make an argument that they haven't been that team outside of one year for, you know, six or seven years. If I have the math right. So it would be asking a lot of them to be there. I think they have the potential, but absolutely. At this point, I want to see Miami in September and into October before I like anoint them as, okay, this is a top you know, three team in the ACC. I, I think it's a little bit premature until you know what they're about. By the way, I'm so glad they got rid of the turnover chain. That thing had been so played out. Like, it was cool when they started it. It just got to be nausea-inducing. Yeah, it's it was time to go. I love that that Mario did that. Um, that's the kind of program I think he's going to run. No, no Fewer gimmicks than you've seen in the past from the Kings. Number 18, the Texas Longhorns. One first-place vote. Now... There are maybe one or two people at USA Today Sports who know where that first place vote came from. Um, you and I are not privy to that information, I don't believe. Um, so I, I like no, and, and we're being honest here. Like full disclosure, Paul and I do not look at who votes for who in the poll until everybody else at the end when we publish that. But uh, I mean, let me just say that's that's. Bat s crazy to have Texas number one. Uh, it is. Uh, it's the worst first place vote I've ever seen 
at any point of any season ever. I've never seen a less deserving number one vote. Let me rephrase. I've never seen a less deserving number one vote in the history, in my life, my hist, my historic life of, of seeing things and then learning about them and remembering them. I've never seen a worse, least, less deserving number one. So I, have I made that point? As Vern Lundquist would say, in your life, have you ever seen anything like that? In your life. And, and I got to look, one thing I, I have, I do know, and that uh, we have both known maybe like for a day or so is who the panel is. Um, we do not know how they voted. Again, we do not know how they voted. But yeah, I've been spending some time going through the 66 names, trying to figure out who gave them their number one vote. And the only answer to me is Jim Mora. It has to be Jim Mora. Don't ask me why. It just has to be. Is Mac Brown a voter? Because that would be uh, great if it was Mac. <laughs> no, Mac's not on it this year. Uh Oh. I just want to know. Hey, I'll tell you what, Dan. Let's do a, a thought experiment, an exercise. You are this coach. You are Jim Mora. You have voted Texas number one. You now have to explain yourself. How do you explain yourself? How do you explain yourself? Um, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, the devil made me do it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm struggling with it. Steve Sarkeesian put a horse's head in my bed. I, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what would motivate someone to make this pick. Uh, uh, speechless, but it's funny, and it, the only thing that's disappointing to me from like a poll perspective and like this take this thing seriously. Yeah, it, it distorts the poll. It distorts it. Right. We're we're doing this on Friday. Poll's going to come out on Monday, uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to make it's going to be what people are talking about. So that's disappointing. Uh, instead of talking about, you know, the actual top 25. Number 19, Wake Forest. Just tremendous what Dave Clawson's done. Very consistent. They're going to be good. No problem there. 20, Wisconsin. Underrated. Who? Wake? Wake Forest, yeah. They should be higher. They should be in that Miami-Pittsburgh spot. Or, I mean, honestly, they should be top 15 because they're going to they're gonna score like 1,000 points again. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, Wake Forest can literally beat anyone in the ACC except for Clemson. They always struggle with Clemson, <laughs> and maybe that's just sort of the athleticism yeah. difference. But everyone else in the ACC, they can beat. Yeah. Uh, number 20, Wisconsin. Number 21, Kentucky. All right, just real quick, why do we think Kentucky is going to be the second-best team in the SEC East? I mean, I, I guess you got to start with Will Levis. Yeah, for me, it's Levis. It's a, a, it's like the plateau that the program has reached. It's a lot about the rest of the East. To me, the thing that worries me about Kentucky is you lose a guy like Wandale Robinson, who did so much for you as a receiver, who as much, if not more so than Levis, made that offense roll um, in terms of like bringing a, an element of danger, which is always something that Kentucky's missing underneath Stoops. So that does concern me a bit. But uh, as you touched on uh, earlier in the show, Dan, like, the SEC East is so unsettled and, quite frankly, so mediocre um, after Georgia and after Kentucky that, to me, um, they're just like – they could cruise to nine wins in the regular season because they're going to get pick up so many against the Vanderbilts and the South Carolinas and the Missouris. So 21 is like a really good spot because they're not so good that they could like sneak up and, and get into the seven or eight to ten range, but they're going to win enough games to land in the, in the back end of the bowl. By the way, did you see on Twitter uh, one of the radio personalities in Kentucky 
posted a current photo of Axl Rose. And my, my God, it looks 100% like Mark Stoops with hair and tattoos. Yeah, it really, really does. Uh, I want to go and see if Mark Stoops, I, I need to find a scoop from an 80s photo, see how they match up. It's really scary and disturbing all at the same time. Uh, number 22, Cincinnati, coming off the college football playoff appearance. They lose one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but a lot of credit to them for getting there and for playing Alabama credibly. They have established themselves as they move into the Big 12 uh, a couple years down the road as a really, really good program. Number 23 is Arkansas. You know, just Sam Pittman right, right now, like if you're ranking coaches in the SEC, he's got to be high on the list because the minute from the minute he stepped foot on campus, the, the energy changed, the way they play changed. They're tough. They're tough to play against. Uh, they're not going to, they're not going to win every game. Who's number three on your list? Like that's a, that's a great question. As we wrap this up, who's your number three, obviously Saban and Kirby who picked yeah. the third spot. Well, I think you, you probably give it to Brian Kelly because of yeah. the, the length of success, but I mean, Pittman's right there, probably number four, in my opinion. Yeah, Pittman and Stoops. Like, both those guys in that range. Yes, he's done a fantastic job um, in Arkansas. So, yeah, I don't. I, I think 23 seems really good for them in a really good spot. Like, that's where they're going to land. They're not going to beat the top teams in the West or the top team in the West, but um, they're going to they're gonna finish in that eight or nine win spot, I think. All right, number 24, Ole Miss. Number 25, Houston. A couple of surprises, I think, of, of teams that didn't make the top 25. You know, Iowa's just sort of been there so many years that you, you expect them to be in. They just miss. Penn State just misses. Of course, you know, they're coming off a couple of mediocre years at Penn State. Um, I, I thought Tennessee might be kind of a trendy pick to get in the top 25. Surprised BYU drops out. They're in the also receiving votes category, but you know, they've just won so many games over the last couple years. Um, and then you got LSU, Auburn, UCF, North Carolina, San Diego state. Is there, is there anybody who, you know, you feel like didn't make the top 25 who really should have. Yeah. Iowa, Penn state, LSU, like you said, kind of speaks for itself. Those are teams that have made a home in the top 25 almost permanently for, for the better part of a generation. So, uh, I'm not going to mention those. I will say BYU, um, I think they've got a chance to be just as good as they were. I don't think their record might reflect that, which is the problem because their schedule is a lot more difficult than it was. But their defense, I've heard, is is like going to be gangbusters, and they're hugely positive about that. they got a kid in Hall at QB who's a burgeoning star. So I, I would have put BYU in personally. I would have put one of those Mountain West schools, San Diego State, uh, Fresno, Air Force, Boise. Um, it's ridiculous. That conference is always going to put their champ in the top 25. So I would have had one of them there as well. Probably, probably San Diego State. I would have been tempted with Air Force. So, yeah, two group of five teams that I would have put in are those two. All right, well, that's your top 25 from the USA Today coaches poll. Um, we we kind of went a little long in, in getting through that, but we, we should talk briefly about realignment before we um, say goodbye to this podcast. Of course, we'll have podcasts throughout the season in which that'll be a topic things seem to be in kind of a bit of a pause right now 
in the realignment space. Uh, it just doesn't seem to me that the Big Ten is in any hurry to do anything unless Notre Dame decides they want to join. Obviously, Notre Dame is out there as an independent. I don't think right now anyway, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be forced to join a league. I don't think that the Big Ten money is going to be so overwhelming that it's going to force Notre Dame to join. And I, I think that's kind of maybe against the grain a little bit. I think maybe some of the expectations of what the Big Ten is going to get in media rights might be just a tad overinflated um, based on you know kind of what I'm hearing out there. And uh, I don't think Notre Dame's going to join the Big Ten in the next couple of years. I, I just don't see it. So that might sort of put a pause to things. And then you're sort of in this mix between the Big 12 and the Pac-12 kind of a stare down or is either one going to be able to poach from each other? Maybe, maybe not. I think probably if I were to make a prediction as of today, the PAC 12 signs a short term media rights deal and stays together. But you know, in five years that'll fall apart and we'll have another round of this. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you think that we're going to be pretty status quo if they're able, if the, if the 10 team Pac-12 is able to maintain and hold down the fort for three, four, five years, you think that that'll settle things down until that's done and that'll trigger another round? Just, I'm, I'm asking you to, re, to not rephrase, but am I getting that right? I think if I had to place money on what's going to happen, I think we're stable for a few more years. But like I said, the Pac-12, and it'll depend on how long the, of a contract they, they sign. They're in the negotiation right now. I think it'll be a short-term contract. I think when you get to the end of that contract, there will be not only a not only a demand from some of those schools to get out and find some other way to align themselves, but also the ACC will be in a different spot too. Right now, for those ACC schools to try to jump anywhere else, we're talking about Clemson, we're talking about Florida State, I think they'd probably like to go to the SEC or Big Ten right now because the money's going to be two to three times bigger in either the Big Ten or the SEC than what they're making in the ACC. But it's such a huge cost to get out of that ACC grant of rights, half a billion dollars, you know, potentially, that I don't think you can justify it right now. In five years, can you justify it? Because it incrementally decreases each year. I do think – so I, I think the next big boom – will be in five years. That's that's my guess as of today, okay. but I, that could change, you know, that could change in a week. Sure. I mean, I, I would imagine uh, that everyone involved would accept that right now and say, hey, give me five years. Just let me take, I need to take a nap. Give me five yeah. years. So uh, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, are you saying that, uh, I, I understand that Notre Dame is, is not looking to do anything, you know, it, outside of its independent status right now. But if they did in that five-year span, all bets are off. Am I right? Like if at any yeah. point Notre Dame says, I, we want in, it's all off. I think so, yeah. Because to me, yeah. that's the move that would force the SEC to become more aggressive. I don't think the SEC is really in need or in the mood to be more aggressive right now because I don't think they need to. But if Notre Dame were to join the Big Ten, I do think that changes the math a little bit. Well, here's knocking on wood for five years apiece. Um, five years of peace, 500 years of solitude and of <laughs> peace from expansion and realignment. If we could do this, please. 
realignment is is fun in some ways, but it's it's torture in others. And the truth is, you know, I, I do feel for a lot of the people involved because you know when you're one of those schools that's just vulnerable to not really competing anymore at the highest level, it sucks. And it impacts jobs, it impacts mm-hmm. livelihoods, and and nobody wants to see that. I mean, I, I I'd like to wind the clock back, but we can't do that. So you have to go forward. Things are where they are. How far? How far you want to go back? Before 2010. Where do you want? Where do you want to go? Before 2010. Hmm. Okay. 2010 is to me where it all got screwed up. I, I'm all for that. I, I would. I would really enjoy that. I'm thinking. We could maybe go back to 2000. When did the SEC take over? Really, that happened 2008, right? Yeah. 2007. Around 2006, there. Florida. Yeah, so. Well, Saban's first title was 09. Urban in 06 with Tebow as a freshman. Yeah. So that's when it started. So I could go back to 03 or 04. I might be able to plant enough grenades to make sure that doesn't happen. I don't mean literal grenades, literal hand grenades. I'm not blowing anybody up. I just mean booby traps. Backdoor like trap. Inception style. Inception style. Yeah. I'm gonna sneak in. Like go Inception. Out. You know, just plant the seeds. <laughs> Whisper in his ear, uh, Rosebud, and then see what happens with Urban Meyer in 2006. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. Um, yeah, you know, I wonder if I went back as an AD in 2000. And if I would, let's I get put back in time till 1995. If I could work my way up the ladder to become an AD by 2005, just by virtue of this guy knows what's going to happen all the time. Like this is incredible. Um, if I could disrupt the SEC dynasty just by knowing who to hire, I don't know. This is great. This is another thought experiment. I'm going to think about this. We've got a couple of weeks until we come back. I'll map out a, a blueprint <laughs> to, to make this, to make the future not happen like in Terminator. All right. Well, I think that's where we're going to have to wrap it up for today. Thank you for listening to a special edition of the college football fix. We will be back every Tuesday this season to discuss the latest news and poll results from around college football. Be sure to subscribe to College Football Fix wherever you listen and find more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. For Paul Meyerberg, I'm Dan Wolken. We'll talk to you soon.